Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast. We are here for a preview show of the 2019 World Superbike Championship. My name is Neil Morrison of Crash.net and with me is World Superbike. Well, I'm tempted to say superstar, but uh, we'll have to settle with commentator for the time being. Mr. Stephen English, hello and welcome back to the podcast. Definitely not superstar commentator. I'm good with though. Good to be back, Neil, sitting here in Barcelona, getting ready to fly out to Australia and the new season very much upon us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you almost have to pinch yourself that the World Superbike season is starting so soon. Uh, what weekend is it in uh, February? It's the 23rd of February, so the final Saturday and Sunday of February. Okay, right. So pretty much, uh, well, the majority of off-season testing in World Superbikes has uh, been completed. We obviously have the, the one test remaining in Phillip Island for two days out there before the race, um, but we've fairly decent uh, idea of how the season or how the first couple of races might turn out uh, for sure. Um, now, we have to say since 1988, when World Superbike started, has been known for its format, two races uh, each weekend. It's pretty much been the story of Superbikes since 1988. But we have a new dawn, new age, Steve. Uh, what are the changes to the format for 2019? Yeah, plenty of changes for 2019. We've still got two races. We've got race one on Saturday, race two on Sunday. But we also have, in addition to the Super Pole session, so the Super Pole session changes for this year. It's just one session, free for all. That'll determine the grid for race one. And then it'll also determine the grid for the Super Pole race. So that's what's basically been called a sprint race as well, a 10-lap shootout dash for the cash. It's 10 laps no matter which circuit we go on. So on the longer circuits, Portimao, it's actually quite a long race of 10 laps, but on somewhere like Donington Park or Laguna Seca, it's 25 miles, so it's a much shorter race. So it's going to be interesting to see the tactics that come into play for that. And after that Super Pole race, it's called the Super Pole race because it determines the order for the race to grid. So that's the second race on Sunday, so the normal second race. Okay, and I guess there is a precedent for this. We do see this in British Super Sport, I think. There's a sprint race on the Saturday on qualifying day, um, just after the qualifying has finished. Um, and well, from what I've seen, it's usually pretty thrilling. Ten laps, straight shootout. Um, are we likely to see different results? Uh, how do you think it'll pan out? We're going to see a lot of different things in that Super Pole race. The biggest reason for that is Pirelli's actually got a totally different tyre available for the Super Pole race. It's a tyre that Pirelli say will last 10 laps, but 10 laps of which track? Could be 10 laps at Donington Park. That's a lot easier to manage, as I said, 25 miles. Or it could be 10 laps of somewhere like Portimao, which is closer to 40 miles. So that tyre... At certain tracks, riders might have to ride it slightly differently. They might be able to ride it absolutely flat out at some circuits and then ride a little bit within themselves at other, at other circuits. So you'll still have tactics in that Super Pole race. And it's definitely going to be interesting to see how different riders try and approach that. Yeah. Will it be a case of riders going hell for leather for 10 straight laps, do you think? Or will it actually have to conserve the tyres? Will that come into a conservation? I think a lot of riders are going to be straight up hell for leather, 100%, absolutely flat out during that race. If you're looking to pick up championship points, this is a real opportunity to do that. The one thing about the Super Pole race is, statistically, it won't count for you. So your race wins will still be determined by race one and race two. And a Super Pole victory won't count as half a race win or anything like that in terms of your stats. But uh, 
also doesn't count as a race win in terms of your bonus. So for riders, they've definitely got to try and measure things up. It's going to be on the Sunday morning. So Sunday's going to be pretty action-packed for fans. You're going to have the Super Pole race, a Super Bike race, the Super Sport 300 race, and also a Super Sport race. So I think for a lot of fans, Sunday's going to become a much, much better day as well. A lot more racing. And at the end of the day, we go to these races to watch the big classes. If you go to a MotoGP race, the Moto3 race, the Moto2 race, they're great. But you want to see the big bikes. And I think for a lot of Superbike fans, the 300 race is one of the best races of the weekend. The Supersport race is always good. But you want to come to see the Superbike riders. You want to see Johnny Ray. You want to see Chaz Davis. You want to see Alvaro Bautista this year. We've got a mix of manufacturers in the championship this year as well. You want to see those riders as much as possible. Yeah, for sure. And I guess that was one of the things we lost whenever we went to the Saturday-Sunday race formats as well, right? Because the Superbike presence really on a Sunday, if you were just showing up for race day, as many people still do, um, yeah, you were seeing what warm-up and then race one and that was it basically yeah there's positives and negatives to the saturday sunday races a lot of riders like it because you manage to come back in have 24 hours to fix your bike from any problems i remember talking to nicky hayden about it whenever he made the switch to super bikes and if he had a difficult saturday he always said oh lovely i've got another race tomorrow and i've got time to get the bike fixed when the two races were on sunday maybe he didn't have quite as much time to try and make those changes now we've still got super pole race one on the Saturday and then the Super Bowl race and then race two on Sunday. So I think in terms of on track action, it's going to be very good for this year. Okay. And what's rider reaction been uh, toward this move? I mean, has it been welcomed? Uh, is there a bit of skepticism there? Depends who you talk to. Uh, if you talk to Marco Melandri, he said, we're not being paid a bonus for this. I'm not that interested in the Super Bowl race. So I think for some riders, there's a little bit of uncertainty. But for most riders, it's a race. They're happy to do that. There's points to be gained. And uh, I think everyone's sort of waiting to see, suck it and see kind of thing, wait and see how it goes after Australia, Thailand, and then the start of the European rounds. Okay, well, something certainly to look forward to uh, for Philip Allen. Now, looking at testing and how testing has gone, um, certainly if you look at how Dorna are trying to build this season, um, a lot is being made by Alvaro Bautista coming into the championship. And that obviously coincides with Ducati and its new V4 Superbike, which looked pretty good straight out of the uh, box back at uh, the end of uh, when was it the end of November I think when it debuted uh, well debuted with its uh, its current riders anyway with Bautista and Chaz Davies um, is is Bautista going to be Jonathan Ray's biggest challenger because I think we can safely assume Jonathan Ray four times world superbike champion uh, ridiculously fast throughout testing as he has been in the last couple of years I think we can say that he's going to start the year favorite um is Bautista the man who is going to give him the most uh amount of the biggest amount of problems this year right yeah as you said Neil Jonathan Ray is the favorite you're the man to beat until you're beaten and for four years Jonathan hasn't been beaten so he's definitely the title favorite as you said another pretty much perfect winter of testing for Kawasaki they've got a new bike this year an updated bike a newly homologated bike and Jonathan Ray looks very competitive on it the Ducati Looked good in November, not so good in January. They seem like they've got quite a bit of work to do. The different riders, there's three different man manufacturers of suspension on the grid for the Ducati riders. So you've got Olin's on the factory bikes, Chaz Davis and Alvaro Bautista. Their bike looks a little bit more sorted than Eugene Laverty's Go 11, which has got Pachubo suspension. And also Michael Ruben Rinaldi is running Showa suspension on his Ducati. He's running for the Barney team. So you've got three different suspension types on the grid for Ducati. 
all those writers, though, they're all struggling with different areas. For um, Eugene Laverty in particular, it's the rear. It just isn't too stable. You can see it from trackside that it's pumping in in, in behind. And uh, for Rinaldi, he just seems lost with the Showa suspension. Ducati has never ran with Showa, so they've got to try and get over that and try and learn how to make that suspension work. Obviously, Showa makes very good suspension. They've won the championship with Jonathan Ray and Kawasaki for the last four years, Tom Sykes before that as well. So the Showa shouldn't be a big problem. The Bitubo for Eugene Laverty could be a bit of a problem. For Chaz Davis, one of his biggest problems has been once he opens the gas, that initial connection with the throttle proved a little bit problematic in those January tests. Came back to him a little bit as the Portimao test progressed, but injuries have been an issue for Chaz. He fractured his collarbone last year, had to have surgery after the November test, came back in January, said he was fully fit, and suddenly he wasn't. He suffered a back, he twinged his back during the January tests, and he was ruled out for a day, and then suddenly he wasn't fully fit for the Portimao test, and it's all sort of snowballing, just at the time when Ducati needs some stability. Alvaro Bautista comes in as a rookie, and sure enough, Bautista's got tons of top-tier experience, premier class in the Grand Prix Championship, a former Grand Prix World Champion, tons of talent, a race winner in Grand Prix, podium man in MotoGP, but he's not used to Pirelli tyres, he's not used to a production-based bike as well. It's very different to a prototype in MotoGP, and while the Ducati V4 might be MotoGP derived it's not a MotoGP bike so he's having to learn an awful lot and with Davis out injured or at least not at full fitness he hasn't had that direct comparison yet to see where he actually stacks up so it's only whenever we get to the Super Bowl session in Phillip Island everyone's on the same tires everyone's on the same fuel everyone's on the same track at the same time that's when we suddenly start to see where Ducati is personally from the testing that we've seen Ducati's a little bit behind them where they would have planned to have been at this stage. Okay. And is it a case of the other factories making a step over the winter months from November to January? Or has Ducati taken a development direction that maybe wasn't the best? I mean, how, can, how do you explain the difficulties that they faced in January? Well, I think one of the easiest ways to explain it is we all thought that Ducati was going to be great because we saw a Ducati V4 at the Jerez test in November two years ago, November 2017, we actually saw a Ducati V4 out testing. I think it was Zanetti was out on it. And we were able to see that alongside the superbikes at that stage. That was the first public display that we got of a Ducati V4. So we've seen this bike for 15 months now on a racetrack. And you'd assume they've done a lot of testing on it. And they have done a lot of testing compared to most new bikes. But they have done a lot of testing with Chaz Davis and Alvaro Bautista. And when you talk to Davis in particular, he said, you know what? It seems like they've done a lot of track time because they've been on track for so long. But the actual number of days that they've done with that bike hasn't actually been that great. So they're still trying to learn that bike. And now the race riders have to try and learn that bike. There's a lot that's different with it. Very different engine. Not just for the change from a V2 to a V4. This is from 1200 down to 1000. This is from... You know, a very much a high revving engine down to a, a MotoGP derived engine with much more linear power all the way through the rev range. It's a much stronger engine, but whether or not it's optimized at this stage still remains to be seen. The team have to get their gearing sorted for the year. You were able to look back at if you tested in the past, if Zanetti or Piero or anyone went testing this bike at Mugello, at Mizano, at Hereth, wherever they were, they would have had that bike geared for that circuit. 
Now Ducati has to decide on what's our gearing for the entire season. So some racetracks it's going to work really well. Other tracks it's not going to work really well. There's a lot of changes in the pit boxes as well. Uh, Davis has got a new crew chief come in. Alberto Colombo, his old crew chief, has left to go to Yamaha. So there's been a lot of change inside the pit box for Davis. Obviously, Bautista's got a whole new crew. He's actually got his 125 Grand Prix winning crew chief mm. with him. So he's brought him across from the Grand Prix paddock. Julio Neva, right? Yep. And then, brilliant MotoGP crew chief. Yep. And uh, so he brings him across. So he's got a new, he's got people that need to get used to working with Ducati as well. So it's definitely all those kind of things that there's a few loose ends to be tied up, but the potential's definitely there. Yeah. But what you're saying is that it might take a few rounds for that team to get up and running, um, especially to be challenging consistently at the front, which essentially you have to do from the very start to be in a position to challenge Jonathan Ray over a season. Now, um, it's quite interesting because I was at Hareth. Uh, at the end of last year, um, I remember speaking to the Yamaha riders on the the last day of testing. Um, Michael van der Mark was still recovering from an injury. Um, Alex Lowe didn't seem that content with where Yamaha were at that point. Yet, I was looking at the times at Hareth and Portimao, reading your comments um, from your experience there. And it seems like Alex is actually in a pretty pretty good place at the moment. Yeah, I have to say, he, for me, Jonathan Ray was. 1A at the tests. He was exactly where you expect him to be. So it's hard to say that he was the star of the tests because you expect Jonathan Ray to set the pace. But 1B at those tests in January for me was Alex Lowe's. Didn't make any mistakes, didn't have any crashes, didn't have any real runoffs the track either. He had a technical problem at one point in Portimao. But other than that, four days of faultless running. The exact same as what we had in November as well. We're just at Hareth. He was just on the money each lap, nice and consistent. Seems like he's made a big step forward over the winter. Seems like Yamaha has brought that bike a bit closer to what he needs it to be. But he's made a big change with his riding style as well. He's tried to stop carrying the corner speed that you need to use with Yamaha. Basically, with a bike like the Or one just with how it's designed, how its chassis and engine is configured, it's all about trying to run through corners as fast as possible. That's how you generate your lap time. The problem with that is you're slow on the corner entry. So you leave yourself open for attack because you're trying to take a big wide sweeping line on the way into a corner. So you're breaking late, but you're trying to turn in late as well. And it just leaves you open for attack. So what Lowe's is trying to be doing is try and keep the bike as upright as possible and on the angle for as little time as possible. So he's had to try and change his riding style, but it seems to have worked. So he's definitely made a step forward. In testing, as you said, Van der Mark suffered a scaphoid, a fractured scaphoid, the same injury that Jorge Lorenzo has. And he suffered that during the Qatar round at the end of October last year. And even in November, he was still struggling with it. In the January tests, he still wasn't 100%. So there's your time frame for Lorenzo's recovery as well for when the Qatar Grand Prix starts on March 10th. But for Michael Vandermark, he's never been a great tester because he just... He, he loves to race. He's always fast in a Super Bowl session. Vandermark could spend the whole weekend and you look down the timesheets and you're thinking, my God, Vandermark, he's a bit lost today. You know, he's down in 10th or something like that. Suddenly, once it's a Super Bowl session, he's up on the front row or the second row of the grid and he's ready for the race. So Vandermark, through the course of testing, he hasn't been the faster of the Yamaha riders. I wouldn't read too much into that at this stage. But Lowe's and Vandermark, Definitely look like the Yamaha has made a step forward. Lovely stable package for Yamaha as well, of course. The Or1, probably the oldest bike on the grid at this stage, but they keep making incremental gains with it. Right. And one of the things that 
Lowe's seemed a little disconcerted about in November was, well, obviously uh, Michele Gada, uh, the electronics wizard, has moved across the MotoGP team permanently for 2019. Obviously, that's a good thing for MotoGP squad, maybe not so good for the World Superbike squad, but he seemed a little bit nonplussed at just what Yamaha had brought development-wise back in November. Um, he thought it wasn't sufficient to close the gap, which was quite substantial, let's be honest, at the end of last year. Um, what have they done to the bike uh, in 2019 or over the winter months to make the 2019 R1 closer to Kawasaki and Ducati? Well, they've brought a new swing arm. They've got electronics upgrades. They've made some changes to the frame as well. So they have actually made quite a few substantial changes now but it's whether or not they've made enough. The problem for Yamaha is because this bike was originally developed in 2015, it's at the end of its development cycle. It's, it's five years old. There's only so much you can develop over a five-year period before you then have to really look at just a new a new bike bottle. And uh, Kawasaki's done that this year. They've got a newly homologated bike, so it's making a big step forward. So Yamaha probably are going to have to look at bringing out a new R1 or at least a, a new homologation for World SBK if they're going to make that step to be a real title contender. But when you talk to people about the pecking order on the grid, a lot of people said last year that the Yamaha was the second best bike on the grid, made a big step forward, left Ducati behind them in a lot of times as well because, again, the V-twin from from uh, Ducati was at the end of its life cycle. They were starting to shift their focus onto the V4 project. So Ducati got left a little bit behind by Yamaha. So Yamaha finished last year with the second best bike on the grid. And it looks right now that they've started the new year with the second best bike on the grid. And uh, just before we leave the sort of the, the big three manufacturers uh, in terms of recent World Superbike history, Jonathan Ray has a new teammate this year, Tom Sykes. Uh, really a staple of the Kawasaki World Superbike squad for so many years. One world championship win there. Uh, countless race wins. Um, he's obviously departed for BMW, but before we move on to them, Leon Haslam, British Superbike champion, has uh, moved up to the class. Some were quite surprised at that move when it was announced back uh, midway through last year. Um, Haslam, certainly in terms of times, at the recent Jerez and Portimao test was quite impressive. Um, where is he at at the moment? Can we expect to see him fighting at the front in the first couple of races? I think we can, because Phillip Island is a great track for him. He's finished on the podium in Phillip Island on pretty much every make of bike in World SBK. And Haslam has a ton of experience. Over the last 20 years, he's been a 125 Grand Prix rider. He's raced the V-Twin and the V4 on the 500 grid. He's raced every superbike out there, whether it's V-Twins from Ducati or V4s, anything like that he's been out there on and now he gets the chance on the Kawasaki to race in World SBK again full time. He comes over as the reigning British champion but he comes over against Jonathan Ray and as you said Neil, his lap times look good, his ultimate pace right there with Jonathan Ray more often than not but his actual average pace probably four or five tenths behind Jonathan Ray right now but that's stuff that can be made up, particularly at Phillip Island. The one thing for Leon Haslam is he's having to change his riding style. He's trying to make sure that he carries less corner speed, a bit like Lowe's. He's at the moment carrying a lot of corner speed compared to Jonathan Ray. He says that through some corners on the data, he's you know five, six kilometers an hour faster than Ray. He's picking up half a tenth of a second in the middle of a corner. And if you think of how short that distance is in the middle of the corner, pretty impressive to be making up that sort of time. But... On the exit, Jonathan Ray is so strong, he gets the bike upright and he just shoots out of a corner and Jonathan Ray picks up time 
from the exit of the corner all the way down to the entry to the next. And uh, Haslam was saying that, you know, at times it can be two tenths of a second Ray picks up. So it's a net tenth and a half that Ray picks up through each corner or through different corners. So Leon Haslam just trying to change his style to be a little bit more up and down rather than try and carry the corner speed. But for Leon Haslam, if you're trying to change your riding style, it's tough. If you're trying to change your handwriting, that's basically what Leon Haslam's trying to do. I don't know about you, Neil, my handwriting is absolutely terrible. And anytime I try and make where I'm doing legible handwriting, it takes so long to do that. So for Leon Haslam, hopefully he can ride that bike with the new riding style a little bit quicker than it takes for me to write down a note. <laughs> okay, so that's just a note to all of our listeners. They ever approach Steve English in one of the racing paddocks, which he frequents around the world and asks for an autograph. Don't be offended by what you get. That is just actually Steve's handwriting. It's not that he's being lazy. I'm definitely being lazy as well. But I remember at one stage I was filling in the filling in the team sheet for our football team and I was writing down all the names and I got all the names down. I could see it. It looked fine. Gave it to the referee and the referee took one look at it and said, Phew, you're either a doctor or an engineer because I've never seen handwriting that bad. And uh, I had to admit, you know, I'm an engineer, so he gave me some slack on that. Clearly that referee's never hung around with journalists and looked at their handwriting. Uh, but yes. Your shorthand's absolutely fantastic, Neil. A shorthand. <laughs> so, uh, so Kawasaki, some interesting things there. What about uh, top rank? Raz Gallioglu, obviously um, a lot of things are expected of him. He's uh, one of the most exciting young prospects in the World Superbike Championship. Um, some think that maybe he'll end up being Jonathan Ray's teammate in the future. Um, are we likely to see him repeat his feats of uh, Donington last year was where he got his first podium right? Yeah, um, I think Toprak definitely could finish on the podium again. He could win races. Watch out from the sprint race, the Super Pole races in particular. He could be very strong during those I think for this year, it's going to be so interesting to see how Toprak develops. He's got Phil Maron as his crew chief. Phil, of course, previously worked with Eugene Laverty for pretty much the last 10 years. So he's now got the chance to move across and work with Toprak. And when you talk to Phil, he said Toprak just has so much talent. And his English is getting better. His technical knowledge is getting better. And he definitely looks like he's made a step forward. Okay, so that should be fun to watch Toprak try and uh, get in among the guys on a regular basis. Um, looking, what's that? Top Toprak actually just as a quick story about Toprak as well. We were down in the in the pit lane in Portimao. It had just started to rain, and I was standing beside Jonathan Ray, and I said to Johnny, uh, "Do you think is anyone going to go out in this session?" And Ray stood there and said, "I don't know. It's starting to rain now. We might give it a minute." And then suddenly we heard a Kawasaki firing up, and we were there like. Who's that? The top rack goes out. We're there like, all right, fair play to top rack. Going out, he's on slicks going out there. It's starting to spit rain a little bit. He went down, he did a practice start down at the bottom of pit lane. And uh, Ray turned to me and said, whoa, it's a bit slippy down there. Could see top rack just sliding around. Top rack did a lap, came back to the pits, came down pit lane. Now, whether or not he had the limiter on or not, I don't know, but he seemed to be absolutely on it down pit lane. And he came in and he was getting on the brakes, but he got on the brakes just as he was turning to come into his pit box. And it's actually just where you've got a transition between asphalt and concrete. And just as he was turning, he got on the brakes just at that transition point, locked up the front, don't know how he didn't fold it. He's coming straight at me and, and uh, Jonathan Ray. And you're just thinking... Jonathan Ray's title challenge ends here in the pit lane in Portimao because he's been knocked over by a Kawasaki rider. But luckily, Toprak just about managed to collect it. 
came back in and uh, immediately went over to Jonathan Ray and was just pounding his heart. Beep, 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 beep. And you could see from Top Rock how close he'd come to just having the mother and father of all crashes down in pit lane. Yeah, mother and father of all crashes, both there and then and in the long term for his uh, career, quite possibly. Yeah. Okay, now one of the things that is making me quite excited about, uh, well, very excited about 2019 World Superbike is the return of, uh, well, Honda have obviously been in the championship with uh, 10 Caddy, but not in an official capacity. Honda return as a factory squad. Also, BMW last seen as a factory team in 2013 in World Superbikes, I think. And, uh, well, back with uh, all-star crew, full factory backing, uh, Tom Sykes, Marcus Ryderberger. Um, what can we expect from these guys? How have they been? Because they weren't, neither of these guys were present. Well, maybe we'll get on the Honda later. That's been quite a strange uh, sort of situation so far this year. BMW weren't on track at the end of last year. Uh, I imagine they've got a yeah, we can talk about Honda very quickly because we know absolutely nothing about the Marawaki Honda operation right now. When they turn up at the first round, that'll be the first public display that we've had from that team. We know a lot of the personnel within the team. We know Chris Pike is involved and uh, it seems that it's his crew chief to Leon Camier. So a really good crew chief there for Leon Camier. Kianari, of course, coming back to World SBK and uh, Marawaki, of course, returning to the paddock as well. So Marawaki a really strong operation when everything is in a row but I think it's going to take time to make sure that that program actually operates nice and smoothly it's going to take at least half the season you'd imagine for them to fully get all their ducks in a row you'd imagine for HRC obviously this is a big comeback to the championship Honda have said HRC is directly involved we're going with Marowaki you'd imagine this is almost a, a sighting lap for them. This is a year where they just try and just try and evaluate where the bike is, where the paddock is, where the championship is. And then for 2020, that's when they make the big push back as like a full HRC effort. We know what HRC can do in the world SBK paddock. They're a former world champion. They've done a lot of quality programs with lots of different bikes as well. You think back to the RC45, different things like that. So there's a lot of potential there for Honda to come back, but it's going to take time. And I think we need to be patient with the with the expectation that we have for Honda. BMW, on the other hand, they've come back and that bike looks really strong. I was chatting to Michael Laverty at one stage during the weekend in uh, Hareth, just at the start of the test. And I said to him, where do you see BMW? And he said, you know, we haven't had any running yet. If they can finish this test within a couple of seconds of the pace, it's a really good first test. And Tom Sykes finished the, the test up inside the top five. Really competitive. Looks strong. So the BMW seems quite sorted right from the offset. Of course, it's as you get more and more competitive, it's harder and harder to find those kind of lap times and try and find the gains compared to Kawasaki and Yamaha and Ducati. But... BMW certainly look like they've got a pretty competitive package right from the outset. And uh, Sykes had a crash in Hareth, came back, the team just got everything ready, got him back out again later on that afternoon. It's important in testing to have issues like that as well. You need to have it where your rider's pushing hard and if he has a crash, the team need to be prepared for making everything, getting everything repaired, getting the second bike ready, getting him back out on track. And they did all that. And uh, it's been... Pretty successful, pretty seamless for the team. Ryderberger seems like he's made a step forward each day. He's learning a lot from Tom Sykes. He says he's probably learning too much, putting milk in tea. He says it's just unusual. But uh, he says that in terms of being able to learn from a world SBK champion, it's made a big difference for him. Because if you look at Ryderberger's career, he's clearly got an awful lot of talent. 
He's won the Stock Championship, Stock 1000 Championship last year. He's a triple IDM champion in Germany. He knows how to ride a superbike. And now he's actually got that comparison against Sykes to see where he needs to make his big steps forward. From what you saw at Jerez and Portimao, was that factory backing completely evident? It's evident in a lot of ways. There's a lot of BMW shirts down in the pit box. There's a lot of very much high-level people down there as well. Pete Jennings working with Tom Sykes. You've also got Pete Benson, Nicky Hayden's World Championship winning crew chief and tons of success in the Grand Prix paddock for Pete Benson. And he's moved across to be Ryderberger's team, uh, Ryderberger's crew chief. So that's making it pretty clear how big of an investment that they are making. It's up to Sean Muir to run the actual operation, to run the logistics behind the team. But it's pretty clear this is heavily supported in Munich. So you can even see it just by the colour of the bikes. There's very few sponsors on the bike. BMW just said, you know what? We could have sponsors on the bike. How about we just pay for that and you can run it in the M colours. The bike looks well. It's a nice white bike. It looks different to everything else on the grid. And it, when you see it in the flesh, the bike looks really tidy right from the outside. It looks very well sorted. It looks like the team's well run, well well operated already. Everyone's integrated into it quite nicely. So I think Tom Sykes, he's going to have super poles this year. Whether or not they win a race, I'm not sure. But Tom Sykes definitely looks like he'll have his usual run of super poles. And that's enough for BMW in year one. They can show that their bike's fast by qualifying on pole position and then Tom, Tom might be able to win some races. Ryderberger might be able to get some podiums through the season. I think it's going to be a tough year for Ryderberger in terms of finishing on the podiums. If he's able to come away with top five, top six finishes, they're good races for Ryderberger. Okay. The last three years, I think, we've heard Sykes say that changes Kawasaki had made to the ZX-10R uh, were not really to his liking, weren't really suitable for his riding style. Is the BMW going to be more suited to Sykes' style because we know he's got quite a uh, quite a unique way of uh, manhandling the bike. Yeah, Tom won't say it, but uh, a lot of the time, one of the key things that he's talked about with the Kawasaki, the engine inertia, we heard that a lot from him. It's one of those phrases we never heard in the MotoGP paddock. We started to hear it from Sykes and then suddenly everyone in the Superbike paddock was talking about the engine inertia. And it seems that the, the numbers for the new BMW are very similar to the numbers for the 2012-2013 Kawasaki. So it's back to the kind of bike that Tom Sykes wants to ride. And as long as he's got a bike that works for him, his style is so unique. But if the bike works, he's hard to beat. Even if you look back to last season, he won at Aston. Jonathan Ray's pretty much his personal playground. And he bet Jonathan Ray last year at Aston. It was race two. It was slightly, slightly different because he had the reverse grid and different things like that. But Tom Sykes... He was strong that day. When the bike works well, Tom Sykes can win. This bike might be able to work a little bit better for him. He'll be able to get it into his operating window a bit easier than what he could with the Kawasaki. Okay. Is there anyone beyond uh, the, the, the kind of big factory teams that uh, you can see coming forward, causing a few surprises, finishing regularly in the top six or even podium finishes last year obviously Javi Forez uh, caught quite a few people off guard with uh, well several podium finishes um, Javi's obviously moved to BSB um, but yeah anything, anyone that we haven't spoken of yet that uh, you can see surprising Sandro Cortese could surprise in some places Cortese's got a wealth of experience he was a Moto3 champion a Supersport World Champion 
and he moves on to a superbike. He's got a lot of experience, seemed to have made a big step forward each day in the tests. He's obviously got a lot of ground to make up as well, though, in terms of experience compared to Melandry, Van der Mark and Lowe's on the Yamaha. But don't be surprised if he springs a few surprises through the course of the season. Beyond that, it's your usual suspects because we've just got that stability in the World SBK paddock. Bautista obviously coming across, he can upset the apple cart a little bit, but Bautista's an established name. Everyone expects Bautista to come out of this season with race wins, being a title contender. You know, he comes across from the MotoGP paddock. Everyone knows the level of MotoGP. You come across to World SBK, it's about trying to learn the bike. But the World SBK paddock, the World SBK grid, all of those riders are capable of jumping onto a MotoGP bike and doing a good job. So Bautista's not going to come across and be a better rider than any of them. They've spent their careers getting themselves geared up for a superbike. He's trying to come in and beat Jonathan Ray, the greatest superbike rider of all time. He's up against Chaz Davis, one of Ducati's great riders as well. Davis has won a ton of races on a Ducati in World SBK. And he has to go in and he has to beat those guys. So even for Bautista... You know, there's going to be some rounds where he's going to struggle and there's going to be some rounds where he's strong. But if I was to pick one outsider, one new rider to come in and do well, I think Sandro Cortese at some rounds just because the Yamaha is so well sorted. Okay, okay, interesting. So uh, basically to bring this uh, season preview show of the Paddock Pass podcast to an end, Steve, I'm going to put you very much on the spot. I'm going to ask you for your podium finishers at the first race at Phillip Island in two weeks' time. Who are they going to be? I'm going to go with Jonathan Ray. going to go out on a limb with Jonathan oh. Ray there. Um, Risky. I think we're going to have a Yamaha on the podium. Don't know whether it'll be Lowe's or Vandermark. Lowe's, as I said, one of the stars of pre-season testing. Always goes well at Phillip Island. Vandermark, Vandermark. Always goes well at Phillip Island as well. So I think one of those Yamahas will be on the podium. And after two days of testing, I don't see a Ducati not on the podium. Whether it's Davis using that experience, I think a lot of it's going to come down to just how physically well he is. If he's fully fit, I'll take Chaz Davis to finish on the podium. If he's not fully fit, I think Bautista's going to be going out there to prove something. So I'm going to say we're going to have three different manufacturers on the podium in race one at Phillip Island. We're going to have a Kawasaki Ducati and a Yamaha. And I'm going with Jonathan Ray, Chaz Davis, and I think it's too close to call between Van der Mark and Lowe's. Okay, and in that order? And in that order. Okay, right. Well, it wouldn't be fair leaving you uh, to your own device to do this. So I'm going to say, uh, at a push race one, I'll say Lowe's Ray Bautista. So, yes, this is your chance, listener, to record this and then send us uh, send us that recording back once the, uh, the race is done and we've been made to look fools. I've usually been made to look a fool by my predictions. I remember I was on a podcast. It wasn't the Paddock Pass podcast. But I was on a podcast. Oh, Steve. Oh, I know. I let us down. But the Paddock Pass podcast. The Paddock Pass podcast. You know, it just wasn't, uh, it wasn't around back then nearly. So I actually said, I think it was some absolutely ludicrous prediction about Jorge Lorenzo and it just didn't work out. But I'm feeling confident about this prediction. Okay. Right. Well, uh, yeah, well, here's to hoping that uh, this uh, this season in World Superbike is uh, is a good one. I'm sure it will be. Um, if anything, seeing the new race format, I think, is enough to attract uh, a lot of attention for the first couple of races. That should uh, should guarantee great racing, right? Uh, short, uh, sharp shootouts. One would imagine will be uh, will be very very fun to watch. Um, and then with the usual cast of characters, 
uh, yeah, it should be uh, enticing to see what's going on. So I'd like to thank uh, my guest for today, Mr. Stephen English, World Superbike commentator. You can obviously hear Steve commentating World Superbike races uh, via Dorna's live feed. Um, and uh, this year you'll have a new commentary partner, Steve, is that right? Yeah, I'll have Alex Raby joining me as well. So that's going to be good fun. Alex seems like a nice guy and uh, definitely loves superbike racing, very passionate about it. So hopefully when the season starts, we'll have some great racing to commentate on. Okay, fantastic. And uh, I'm sure we'll be catching up with you uh, after the first round has finished, Steve. Um, so look out for that in the coming weeks uh, with us here on the Paddockcast podcast. Now, before we leave you, worth mentioning that you can follow us on our social media channels. That is facebook.com forward slash podcast, and then also on Twitter, that's at paddockpasspod. And you can find us on a variety of different podcast devices, SoundCloud and uh, Apple Podcasts, I think, as well. And if you do listen to us via those means, please leave us a review because, well, you know the drill by now. It helps other people find the show, and that's always uh, that's always welcome here. Uh, so that's it from me, Neil Morrison, and Stephen English. Thanks very much for joining us for this episode. Hope to hear from you soon. Mr. World Superbike in our mix. He loves it. Hello, Jensen. <laughs> Hi, Jensen. <laughs> Hi, Jensen. <laughs>